Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. To the one who gives us hope, thank you for inviting us to this time of waiting. Help us to open our eyes so we can hear you, so we can see your light. Open our ears so we can hear your words of hope. Open our minds so we can understand you. Open our hearts so we can receive your love. Come long expected. Jesus, we are waiting for you. Amen. Today we're lighting the candle of hope. It's good to be home for Christmas. When you think about Christmas, what memories come to mind? What, what do you feel? What smells or sounds fill you with that sense of warmth and comfort? Is it gifts under the tree? Is it the smell of turkey in the oven? Perhaps the, sm the fresh smell of pine coming from the tree, which I don't know what that smells like because I've always had artificial. But is it the soft Christmas music that plays in the background? Or is it the, the lights that twinkle outside as you drive home from work? Is it the dim light or the light and the warmth coming from the fireplace, or the candles that are lit around your home? And of course, with Christmas memories always come family gatherings. Those fun times where we all pile in and see one another. And of course, there's always that one crazy relative, right? Like, you know what I mean, like Christmas vacation, Cousin Eddie type thing. Um, and if you're thinking, like, no, we don't have a crazy relative in our family, well, you're probably it. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't resist that one. But uh, really, we, we all have these memories that make Christmas what it is. And I wish we could sit around the table and we could just share Christmas memories and stories with one another. When I was a youth pastor, I actually did this with some of my youth. We broke up into small groups and we went to different people's homes from the church and primarily seniors. And each small group had a list of questions that they got to just ask these people about their, their memories growing up as a kid, tr Christmas traditions. Some of them were shocked to hear that these people didn't even have refrigerators as a kid but uh, just these cold rooms and cold storage but it was incredible to witness the transformation and the power of these stories on these kids lives as they heard and got to experience Christmas through a different perspective and it got me thinking about my own Christmas memories and that's why I thought man my memories are in this home because I have only known this to be my, my parents' home. Although I was born in a home just a few blocks from here, this is the house where I was raised. And this chair, I even have pictures from my wedding day uh, doing up my tuxedo in, in this chair. There's just so many memories here and I wanted to invite you into it as we talk about home for Christmas. But you know what? I know that not everyone has this type of Christmas memories. Not everyone has this type of home where they have fond memories. I know that not everyone experienced warm and cozy memories 
and they didn't have the same home environment which I was fortunate enough to have. And just the thought, perhaps, of even going home for Christmas paralyzes you, overwhelms you, fills you with dread, doesn't bring about the best memories. But usually, more often than not, if I were to ask you about your Christmas memories, do you talk about last year, a couple years ago, or do you go back to the times when you were a kid? And I think more often than not, we go back to these childhood memories. I come back to, to my home because there's this sense of innocence. There's a sense of awe and wonder and simplicity. And you're just excited and you're, you're hoping that what you've asked for for Christmas is under the tree, but you're not sure. And you're just filled with this lightness and you experience things in such a different way. But then as I was visualizing this picture of this warm, cozy setting, I started asking myself, why does that change? What happens? And I believe that over time, as, as we get older and we grow up and we take on more responsibilities, we grow weary. We get tired and we start getting busy and we start losing the sense of magic that this season holds because it takes a lot of work to get everything ready to host the party sometimes it just takes a lot of work to get out of our pajamas and dress up and go to the party but i think so often we actually try and recreate previous year's memories again and we have these expectations of what it was like when we were younger and we want to recapture the moment but in all honesty the people around the table change what we're carrying, the burdens we have, what we've experienced, they change. So then we start setting these high and unrealistic expectations of what the seasons ought to look like. And then we just get disappointed when it doesn't turn out the way we had really, really hoped it would. But you know what? This is actually similar to scripture. It follows the same narrative. And I'm not even talking about the Christmas story yet. I'm going back much, much earlier to a book called Genesis. It's the first book of our Bible. And it's the creation story. It's like the prologue to scripture where everything was created by God and everything was good. There was this peace and harmony in the world. It starts with God creating. But then... There's a fallout. There's a rebellion. There's a break in the peace and harmony. There's a break in the story. And you have this disruption of the peace and harmony that God desires for the world because of our rebellion. And soon enough in the story, you have a group of people called the Israelites, God's chosen people. And they're suddenly in bondage and captivity in Egypt. And the rest of the stories of the Old Testament follow the struggle of God continually working to set his people free from bondage and slavery, but our rebellion, which keeps pulling us away from God, until God sends his son Jesus to us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus breaking into the story, breaking into earth, coming to us in the form of a baby. 
And what's Jesus' mission when he gets to earth? Well, in Luke chapter 4, he says to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's go back to where God sends his son. Let's go back to the story of Jesus, to the beginning. The very first page of our New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, we have a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's right, the very first thing in our New Testament, it's opening line, what's going to set the trajectory for the rest of the book, it's a tension grabber, it's a genealogy. And you're thinking like, like snooze fest, wake me up when it's over, right? Because we want to rush ahead and get to the birth of Jesus. That's what matters. But... I hope what you see tonight is that this genealogy has a life of its own. It's not just a list of names. It's screaming out, hope, hope, hope. Let's be honest. We usually just skim right over the genealogies, right? Like I've been going through a read the Bible in a year plan and you get to genealogies and you're like, I don't know who these people are. I don't get their significance. And that's why I want to slow us down to help us dig into this tonight because I don't want us to gloss right over it. I know that we don't understand all of these things and who they were. And it, to us, it seems so passe because we're now on the other side of things. But what I want us to see is that these genealogies are about to blow your mind. And I hope and I pray that they will fill you with this sense of awe and wonder and hope. Because even the fact we want to gloss over these names tells us something. And what it tells us is that God is a patient God who wants to commune with us year after year, generation after generation. It shows us God's patient communion with us. Rich Velotis, he's a pastor down in New York City, he posted recently, the good news of Advent isn't that we're faithful in our waiting, we're often not, but that God is faithful in his coming. And that's what I want you to see tonight. You see, in our genealogies or our family trees, it makes us think about our roots, where we come from. And every family tree has its heroes and it has its villains. It has people we look up to and we admire. And then it has people that we might look down upon or maybe not even say their names. But they all help shape who we are. They all form our identity, where we come from. So rather than getting frustrated by these difficult to pronounce names or the length of these lists that we're about to read, I want you to slow down. Don't be in such a rush to get to the good stuff, the birth of Christ. Advent is a season of preparation and waiting. It's a season of anticipation. So let's settle in and appreciate a few things here. And the first thing I want you to see is that each person in this list matters to God. They are important just like you matter to God and you are important. Secondly, each person, no matter their story, good, bad, screw up or not, they had a part in bringing God's plan to bring Jesus here to earth. And the third thing is that every family has members who are models of God's grace. That's right. 
every family has members who are models of God's grace. I think I'm that model for my family, but we can fight that one out over Christmas dinner. But let's read this together. Matthew chapter 1. The family tree of Jesus Christ, David's son, Abraham's son. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Judah and his brothers. Judah had Perez and Zerah, the mother was Tamar. Perez had Hezron, Hezron had Aram, Aram had Amimadab, Amminadab had Nation, Nation had Salmon, Salmon had Boaz, his mother was Rahab. Boaz had Obed, Ruth was the mother, Obed had Jesse, Jesse had David, and David became king. Whew! Got through the first list. It's a lot of people having a lot of people. <laughs> but let's continue on. David had Solomon. Uriah's wife was the mother. Now, this is just a nice way of saying Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the mother. Solomon had Rehoboam. Rehoboam had Abijah. Abijah had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had Joram. Joram had Uzziah. Uzziah had Jotham. Jotham had Ahaz. Ahaz had Hezekiah. Hezekiah had Manasseh. Manasseh had Amon. Amon had Josiah, Josiah had Jehoiakim and his brothers, and then the people were taken into the Babylonian exile. Whew. Okay, deep breath. We got through the second list. And remember, this is a testament to God's faithfulness, his patient communion with us. The third list. When the Babylonian exile ended, Jeconiah had Shealtiel, Shiltiel had Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel had Abiad, Abiad had Eliakim, Eliakim had Azor, Azor had Zadok, Zadok had Akim, Akim had Iliad, Iliad had Eliezer, Eliezer had Mathen, Mathen had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph, Mary's husband, the Mary who gave birth to Jesus, the Jesus who is called the Christ. And now here, verse 17 is what's going to unlock these genealogies for us. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David, another 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and yet another 14 from the Babylonian exile to Christ. This verse is what's about to open up our minds to see God at work. You see, the greatest king of the Jews was David. And in Hebrew, that's spelled D-V-D. And D is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so its numerical value is four. V is the sixth letter of the alphabet, so its value is six. And then you have D again, four. Well, you add those up, four plus six plus four. It's the value 14. David's name is the number value 14. Matthew groups the names in his genealogy in groups of 14. What this means is that a Jew reading the introduction to this book, which is telling something about Jesus' family, would be reading this seeing king, king, king. Matthew has an agenda here. He wants you to see who Jesus is. He's setting the trajectory. Remember the attention grabber? We think it's just a list of names, but a Jew's picking this up in the, in the first century and they're seeing King, 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 David, David, David. And to us, this should be shouting hope, 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 because we do live on the flip side of things. 
Because let's be honest, we're not always faithful in our waiting, but that doesn't mean that God's not faithful in his coming. And it doesn't mean that we don't matter to God. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan and a purpose for us. What it means is that Matthew is telling us that Jesus, this Christmas story that we're about to read and celebrate, it's been in the works since the beginning. It, it, it's tracing Jesus back to King David and then going back further to Abraham. And what I love about this is that it's screaming at us, King, 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 hope, hope, hope. As we read those names and we get lost and we think, what does this mean? Who's that? God's saying, what matters is that I have pursued you from the beginning of time. What matters is that I love you. And what I love is that Jesus came just as was prophesied, just as he said he would. He rose from the dead just as he said he would. And he will come again just as he says he will. You see, at the, the end of the Gospels is when you have the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And what I love in the Gospel of John chapter 20 is Jesus has been crucified and buried and put in the tomb and Mary goes to see the tomb and she discovers that it's empty. And suddenly, panic takes over. She's overwhelmed. She runs to tell some of the other disciples that the body has been taken and she goes back to the tomb and she's crying. And just then, Jesus appears. Jesus shows up to her. And John chapter 20 verse 15 says, thinking he was the gardener. So let's, let's settle on that for a second. Mary thinking he was the gardener. You see, where's the first time we ever hear about a garden in scripture? Genesis, the beginning when God created everything and everything was good. And now you have Jesus who's conquered death and who has defeated death and has resurrected and is there with Mary and she's mistaking him as a gardener. John is trying to connect these two images that Jesus is creating something new. Jesus is restoring the garden. Jesus has defeated the enemy, has defeated death. Jesus gives us hope. I don't know if you get as excited about this as I do, but these little plays on words that the Jewish scriptures bring to life just blow my mind because on all of these pages, we can just read it as details and names if we want to. But if we slow down and actually understand what it's saying is he's saying this genealogy matters. Hope, hope, hope. Jesus is mistaken as a gardener because he's creating brand new things. He's restoring and reconciling and renewing all things. And he invites us to be part of it. That's what blows me away most of all. Is you see, Jesus invites us home. Jesus invites us into the way things should be. Into this reconciliation and renewal of all things. He invites us to participate. He invites us into how things should be. And you see, this is the part of the story where I picture us around the table again. That it started off with this ideal setting, everything warm and cozy. 
everything is it should, always good, and then it kind of trails off and it gets cold and bleak and you feel the cold of winter settling in. And we grow older and things get colder. And we end up shouldering all of these burdens. And we begin losing the sense of awe and wonder of the season and the scriptures that are living and active. We begin losing hope. And we ask ourselves, will it ever go to will it ever go back to the way things were? I don't know how many times I've asked that here in 2020. Will things ever go back to the way things were? But then Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, I am doing a new thing. I'm at work renewing, restoring, and reconciling all things everywhere. And he says in Matthew chapter 11, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, Jesus is saying there is hope. There has always been hope. Whatever you're facing today, wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're struggling with, Jesus is saying, I am there with you. I love you. I accept you. I want you to invite me in to what you're facing. Help me. Or let me help you carry this. Let me help you journey with this because there is hope. There is new life and it is offered through Jesus and Jesus alone. So this is part of the story then where we start making our way back home. And I think this is I don't know, a part where sometimes we get apprehensive, we're, we're a little nervous as we start our way back home. As we walk into the room full of people who we're not sure what they think of us, we may have hurt them, burned some bridges. I know I've, I've had to walk into this very home and ask forgiveness several times. But we make our way back home hoping that we'll be loved, accepted, and find belonging. We find a place to sit, kind of make a game plan that, you know what, I'm going to stay quiet. I'm only going to engage in conversation if engaged with. But we quickly discover that we're all part of the same family, that we all have the same ups and downs and heroes and villains, and that God just continually pours out his grace upon all of us that we're all accepted, that we're all loved, and that there is hope for every single one of us. And before you know it, you're sitting around the table with your stomach full, leaning back on your chair, just taking it all in. You're listening to the, the sounds of the chatter around the room of people cleaning up the table and preparing dessert and coffee and tea. You're listening to the kids run in excitement and begging to open presents. You're looking at the, the little babes who are looking at the twinkling lights. And you're just thinking, this is it. I'm home. This is how it should be. Well, tonight, I want to invite you home. 
I want to invite you to the Lord's table, to Jesus' table, where he sits and he says, come home. You can find acceptance. You'll find belonging. You are welcome. You are wanted here. I love you. There is hope. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be nervous coming back to the table. You just have to come. As the late author Rachel Held Evans puts it, she says, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes. And there's always room for more. Welcome home. Come home for Christmas. Come back to Jesus. There is hope. And as we wrap up this message, one thing that I've missed is communion. We used to do this as a church every single week, and I don't think we've actually done it together since June on Zoom, and it just wasn't the same thing. But tonight, I know it's still not going to be the same, but I pray that you'll you'll gather around the Advent candles and that you'll take a piece of bread or cracker, whatever you have available, and a cup of juice or wine or water, and that you'll celebrate communion and you'll know that you are not alone, that you are home, that you are welcome, that you belong, that you are loved. There is hope. And let's remember that the, the bread that was broken was broken for you. The blood that Jesus shed was shed for you. This new covenant of love. Let's do this to remember him. Come home for Christmas. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for your grace. And thank you for making all things new. God, we await your arrival. And I pray that although we don't always remain faithful ourselves, that you will help us do so by also reminding us of your faithfulness in your coming. You have always done what you have said, and we wait for you to do it again. God, we come together as a church family now celebrating hope, celebrating life, and celebrating Jesus. Thank you for this family. Thank you for your son. In your name we pray. Amen.